Thank you, choir. Um, this morning, uh, Joel is going to come and he's going to share God's word with us, Joel Bradbury, and uh, so thankful for uh, him being a part of our church. And um, uh, we've we've had a little bit of a rough week at my house, just with nothing major, just sickness stuff. And um, but it's been a, some bad sickness kind of kind of deal. And so my mind has been very much consumed with taking care of my family this week. And, um, and so Joel has graciously offered to preach today, um, probably the Lord's way of also telling me I need to sit and be taught today, which I am absolutely looking forward to. And, um, and so he's going to come in just a moment and share God's word with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, just this time in our service when we get to um, pour our hearts and minds into your word and allow you to pour your word into our hearts and minds, Father, so that we pray your word would then be poured forth from us in the way that we live our lives. Lord, even as we meditate for just a moment on those verses, Lord, this, this, this promise in a way that we've said that we will keep your words continually, uh, Lord, that is our heart's desire. And yet, Lord, we know that we fall short of that. And there is only one who has ever kept your word continually, and that is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we come to your word today, Father, would you lead us to Jesus? Father, help us to see our great need for Christ. And then, Lord, as we see our need for Christ, Lord, would you um, cultivate within us a deeper and deeper desire to live out your word each and every day. Father, be with Joel as he comes and preaches. Uh, Father, give him clarity of mind, Father, and uh, we look forward with eagerness to what you have to teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. That's the best you can do. Good morning. I used to hate it when pastors did that to me. I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to be here or feel like being here, and they come up there, oh, let's just be excited. Like sometimes you're just not excited. Uh, that's just the way it goes. But when, uh, when Zach asked me, could I preach today, I said, absolutely. And I was sort of tempted to dig into the reservoir and uh, you know, look at sermons that I've preached in the past I just didn't really want to do that. I never liked doing that. Um, and I'm scheduled to preach in a, in a few weeks. And I sort of started working on that a little bit. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to preach that tomorrow. And uh, it, so if it's not as refined as maybe as it should be, uh, hopefully you will understand that. Hopefully we'll at least be able to connect these dots. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of conversations that matter. The conversations that matter. The Bible is not silent. Actually, it talks a whole bunch about conversations that matter. Um, there's conversations that we have with God. That's called prayer. We talk to God. God answers us. He talks back to us through the Bible. We have conversations with people who are close to us. So those conversations... Uh, for instance, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? So there are times where we have to confront people that we love dearly. Uh, those conversations really do matter. There are also conversations that we have with people who are outside the faith, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us to walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside, redeeming the time, and let our conversation always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that we might know how to answer each one. So these are different kinds of conversations um, that we have. But there's a conversation I really want to focus on today, spend the most, most of our time on today, and it's a conversation that you and I are constantly in. You know what that is? It's conversations with ourselves. We can call that thinking. Uh, so, so I'll use those terms synonymously. Thinking or conversations that we have with ourself. I really hope this will make sense uh, as we go there. I, I told Zach earlier this is more of a topical message than uh, a purely exegetical one. But uh, I think we can connect the dots. And if not, God is gracious at times. Uh, God is gracious all the time, actually. So the, the context is John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. John 17. 
If you know the, the setup here of John 17, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's spending these last hours with his apostles. And in this particular context, they're in the upper room and, and Jesus is pouring his heart out. He's sharing truths that, that are just uh, immense, that uh, we're so thankful that God chose to record these. But then Jesus in verse, uh, excuse me, in chapter 17, the Bible says he turns his eyes towards heaven and he begins praying. And this is really the Lord's prayer. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And in the first few verses, verses 1 through 5 uh, or thereabouts, he is communing with his father and he is, he is basically saying, and I'll just summarize this, he's saying, uh, Father, I'm about to go back to you. Uh, give me the glory that I had with you uh, in the beginning. But then he turns his uh, his sight, his eyes on his apostles. And he begins praying for them. So I want to pick up in verse 6 of Jesus' prayer. Here's what the Word of God tells us. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now here he's talking about his apostles. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. Yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. Jesus is saying here, he's, I'm, I'm about to be crucified, I'm about to be taken up. So he's, he's speaking, I am no longer in this world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Wouldn't you like to know that Jesus prays that prayer for you? Wouldn't you like to know, how comforting would it be to know that Christ is praying to the Father for you? Holy Father, keep them in your name. Wouldn't you like to know that? Well, he's praying that about his apostles here. He says, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's speaking of G Judas Iscariot, his betrayal. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. When God has given them the apostles, his word, notice they are hated by the world. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus here is, is, is talking to the Father and he's saying, I'm not praying that you remove them out of this world. Here's what I am praying, Father. I'm going back to you and I am praying now that you protect them as they are sent out into this world. As I leave, you protect them. He goes on. He says, they are not of this world just as I am not of the world. I want to focus on verses 17 through 20 this morning. Jesus 
Praise this for his apostles. Sanctify them. In other words, set them apart for holy service. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20 is a great verse. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is about to be crucified. He knows that his mission on this earth is about complete. He's pouring his heart and his soul out to his apostles. He begins praying to his Father. He says, Father, I am coming back to you. Restore the glory that I had with you from the beginning. And bless these apostles and set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. And by the way, Father, not just these, but all of those who are coming later on who will believe in their word. Folks, if you're in Christ, he's speaking of you. Jesus prayed for you that night before he would hang mercilessly on a cross. I'm going to ask you to do something now as I enter this time of the message. Would you just, uh, just take a moment and pray for this message? Pray that it will be delivered well. Pray that your ears and our ears will be open to hear what the Holy Spirit uh, is, is, has for His church. Right there with two or three people just gathered, uh, turn around if you need to pray with one another, and I'll close us after about one minute. Our Lord and our God, um, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Naval aviators will tell you that one of the most disconcerting times for them flying is at night out over the ocean when there is no moon. Especially aviators that are flying fighter aircraft, jet aircraft. It's very easy for them to get disoriented. If you think about it, if you're out there, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's no horizon. It's dark. There's no lights below you, you're not over land. So it's just all black. And it's nothing for someone flying along in an F-18 or F-35 or whatever it may be to, to become inverted, flying upside down. And you don't know, or the pilot doesn't know that he or she is flying upside down. Everything about their feeling in that cockpit is that they are right side up, when actually they are upside down. How do they know to flip the airplane right side up? going against all of their feelings. They look at their instruments. Their instruments will tell them, hey, you are upside down. If you want to live, turn this plane right side up. And they do it. Even against their feelings, they will trust the instruments. Y'all, it doesn't take a genius to tell you from the pulpit that we are living in some upside down times. I'm sure every generation says that to the following generations. Oh, you know, I'm sure when my parents were younger, they worried about me and my brother and how we would, you know, live in this generation that's to come. And, and now I'm doing the same thing for my grandchildren. But there's just something, I believe you understand this, there's something different going on right now. 
There's something that is just beyond our ability to grasp it and to totally comprehend what it is other than to say, you know what? If things are just upside down. It's just not right. A man wearing a woman's bathing suit, swimming in competition and winning is just not right. There's something weird about that. Nowadays, right is wrong. And wrong is right. And not only are we encouraged or mandated to agree and jump on board that train, we're told that we must celebrate it. Folks, these are upside down times. I was speaking with a relative of mine just recently. We were talking about this. And she asked me, she said, how am I supposed to respond? What do I do when I'm out there with the people all around? How do we respond? Well, just remember Jesus' truth, what he just spoke. He says, I am setting you apart. I am sanctifying you. Father, sanctify them by what? By Truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. That's how we respond. We respond with truth. There's a reason why our president and our governors, at least I guess this is still the case, it may have even changed overnight and not know it, but when they are sworn into office, there's a reason why they don't place their hand on the Koran or Das Kapital. Or the Communist Manifesto. Or Nietzsche. Or Freud. Or Robin D'Angelo. They place their hands on the Bible because the Bible is the truth. The Bible does not contain the truth. The Bible does not become the truth. The Bible is the truth. Oh, that we would continue to teach our little ones the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. What does it say after that? I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Like aviators' instruments, it's the Bible that will keep us right side up in an upside down world. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this. I really don't. But if we had to summarize, I love, I mean, uh, I almost called you Matt. I love the way Zach, though, really works out a main idea of every sermon. He'll put it up there on the screen for you, right? I mean, it, that takes work. That takes hard work. You don't just come to a, a sermon the night before and go, oh, here's the main idea of what I'm preaching. That takes work, folks. You need to be very thankful that you have a pastor that loves the Word enough and immerses himself in that Word to bring that kind of Word to you. That deserves at least one amen. There you go. But if I had to summarize the main idea of this mostly topical message, it would be this. What and how we think undergirds every aspect of our life. What and how we think undergirds every aspect of our life. So again, I'm I'm saying this. What we think and what we speak to ourselves are synonymous so if I'm thinking, I'm talking to myself, right? So think about how much of your time during the day you are talking to yourself. You're thinking, but you're talking to yourself. Do you think it matters what you say to yourself? Absolutely, it matters. So at the risk of going long, I don't want to do that. This could be very brief. I'm just going to break out here and just give what I'm just going to call four applications to speaking the truth to myself. In other words, here are four applications why it matters that we speak to ourselves, that we think right. And again, thinking right is not just thinking anything. It's thinking God's truth. He set us apart by His truth. His word is His truth. So we know His word. We are immersed in His word. This is our worldview. This helps us to think right. So these four applications. The first one is this. 
thinking right or speaking truth to myself, number one, gives assurance when we doubt. It gives assurances when we doubt. Y'all, doubts aren't sin per se. In fact, doubts are the soil where faith grows. If we can't work through those doubts, we will never genuinely grow. So what are some of the doubts we have? You ever have this doubt? I don't think I'm really saved. Have you ever had that? Um, you go back and you, and some, you, you, you vaguely remember or perhaps you were, a young per, you were young when you got saved and you remember the preacher preaching and you walked down an aisle or something like that and, and for some reason you question that. You start doubting that. And your mind will take you places where you doubt or even the enemy will sow seeds in the field to make you really doubt your salvation. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to take He's not going to be able to take you. He can't snatch you out of God's hand. So what's he going to do? He's going to make you doubt. Try to make you ineffective for the gospel kingdom. So you keep doubting. But listen, thinking right, thinking truth will help us work through those doubts. Perhaps you do this. Perhaps you think or you doubt like this. Well, there's no way I'm really saved because... And just fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. There's no way I can genuinely be saved because I did this. Or because I like this. Was I really saved? Look, I hope it would help you. If you're one of those kind of people who seem to like kind of circle back time and again. Was I really saved? I want to really be saved. Listen, don't put so much stock in, in what happened way back then. What is it that you believe about God and the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation and, and all of that? What is it that you truly believe right this moment? So you go back to the truth. He just preached through this a few weeks ago. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. What's a gift of God? Salvation is a gift of God. But the very faith to believe is a gift of God. That's what God does. What God is doing. So go back to the truth. So let's just press on here for time's sake. Number two, speaking truth to myself, thinking right, it provides stability during emotional turmoil. Being grounded in God's truth will provide stability during emotional turmoil. And Maybe there's nobody here like this, but there may be. Anybody here ever suffer emotional turmoil? See, we want to sit there all stoic, right? We want to just act like I'm, I'm such a strong Christian and genuine believers would never face any kind of emotional turmoil. Hmm. Hold your finger there in John or whatever. You, you can't hold your finger on your device, I guess, but whatever. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 kind of go together. In fact, they they really go together. I'm not going to get in here and explain all this, but what I just want to show you, you're not the only one to experience emotional turmoil. You're not the only one to ever go through dry seasons in your life. You're not the only one who's ever faced depression or discouragement. Those things are real. And just because you experience those kind of emotional strains, uh, depressions or anxieties or things like that, does not mean that you're not a believer, having put your faith in Christ. This is written by the sons of Korah. And just uh, just scan with me. He says in verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and... 
appear before God. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Have you ever been there? You ever been to that point where you're like, God, why don't you appear? God, are you sleeping? God, can you not hear me? Why are you letting me go through this? Why are you forcing me to go through this? Haven't I served you, God? I loved him and he walked out from my family and left me alone with my kids. God, why is that right? Why are you doing this? Or that child of mine who I poured all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my life into, she's gone. She's run away. She's turned away from everything of God. How can you let that happen, God? That's what he's saying. And all the people who are, who are on the outside who are looking, and they've watched you go to church all these years, and they know the times that you've shared with them, oh, Jesus loves you, God loves you, God takes care of you, God will be, you, be with you all the time. And they watch you going through this emotional turmoil, and they're going, where's your God now? You might be stoic in front of them, but behind the walls, you're crying out to God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival, but I'm, I'm, I'm distraught. My soul is parched. My prayers don't even get past the ceiling. In fact, I don't even pray. I can't even pray. Have you ever been there? Now listen to this psalmist speak to himself. <laughs> he says in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? So he's looking at himself. So, why are you cast down? Why is there so much turmoil within me? And he talks to himself and he answers himself and he says, Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I'd like to have time to, to, to talk about all this, but I won't. But look, he says the same thing. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. That must mean something to see that two times in one song. God meant to get a message across, but that's not enough. When the Bible calls God holy, that's amazing. When He calls God holy, 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 that's, even, that's superlative. When He says something three times, man, it means something. Go to the next psalm. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. He's saying the world is going crazy. It's upside down, God. Vindicate me. Am I the only one that sees what's going on? Lord, I'm at work and I'm taking a stand at work. And I'm paying the price. Am I the only one that loathes as they jam this DEI stuff down my throat? Vindicate me, God. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I keep mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Your truth. Remember what Jesus said. Sanctify them by what? By truth. My word is truth. Verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. And listen to what he says in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And he talks to himself again, and he preaches the gospel to himself. Hope in God. Don't just wish. Hope here is an absolute certain expectation. It's not like, I hope it rains today because my garden needs some water. No, it's absolutely the God of my salvation is in whom I hope. So speaking the truth to myself and thinking right gives assurance when we doubt. It provides stability during emotional turmoil. But number three, it lifts us up to worship when our feelings get in the way. You ever feel gloomy? Ever feel bitter? Frazzled? You ever feel frazzled when you come to church? 
<laughs> you ever like tried dressing and feeding two or three, five, six, seven-year-olds and then coming to church? Now, you're talking about frazzle, man, that could be frazzle. There's sometimes you come to church and you just think, you know what, I, I don't want to be here. I just had a fight with my wife on the way here. Has that ever happened to you on Sundays? Get ready on Saturday nights, by the way. Get ready on Saturday night. Put the clothes out for the kids on Saturday night. Have the breakfast all ready, all ready to go Saturday night. So Sunday becomes something you have planned on. That's just a free tip. But sometimes, you know it's true, sometimes we don't feel like singing the songs of Zion. But when I go back to the truth and I anchor back to the truth that God is God and His Word is true, let me tell you, I, it will get us through those times. I can remember years ago, we were living in San Diego and that, that church sang the same like three or four songs every time, I mean all the time, same songs. Uh, but it, they put in my mind, I remember those. There's this one lady, I'll just call her Mrs. B, and I'm not the best singer in the world by far. I'm not at all, but she was awful. And she really was, and we always sat right behind her. She was terrible. I mean, when she, her voice is like this. I still remember it. And the song we always sang was Count Your Many Blessings. And it sounded like this. When upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed, do not be discouraged, God is over all. And we would laugh. Until one day we were singing that song and I saw tears trickling down Mrs. B's face. And then I learned more about her. And I understood what her life had been. And I understood she, she didn't have her husband living with her. I understand she was raising her kids on her own and it had been heartaches and heartbreaks and hardships. Life had been hard for her. And so then when you go back and you look at that, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will, it shouldn't, but it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You start feeling sorry for yourself, having little pity parties. Oh, why aren't things working out for me? Why, 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 why? You know, stop just a moment and get on your face before God and count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Well, fourth and finally, thinking right. Speaking the truth to ourselves gives hope as we grow old and draw near the grave. I've got the best job in the world right now that I've ever had. I really do. I went to school, I got some degrees and blah, blah, blah. Preached, loved that. It was God's calling, God's season for me at the time. Loved it. Now I work at the county dump. Well, I guess you're supposed to call it the, what do you call it, Billy Ray? Recycling center? I'm an attendant at the recycling center. I'm a garbage man. And let me tell you what, I would not trade it for anything in this world. It is the most brilliant, it's the most tangible, hands-on ministry that I've ever had. Anybody and everybody, some of y'all come through there. It's fun to see what people throw away. We're not above digging through their trash, are we? Oh, you're drinking Bud Light, huh? Some of you are like, you've been digging through my garbage? I'm joking, kind of. The other day, well, a, a couple months ago, actually, guy comes driving through there, and, you know, you, you're just getting to know people, and, and some people I know real well. This guy I really didn't know too well. And I'm like, you know, you always speak to them. How you doing, man? What's going on? How you doing? He said, well, at least I'm vertical. I'm vertical. And I said to him, 
You know, one, one thing, there's some things that are better than horizontal. You understand what I'm saying? He was basically saying, at least I'm still alive. I'm not, I'm not flat out dead. I said, one day, man, you're going to be dead. You know what he said to me? He said, who told you I have stage four cancer? I said, nobody. I don't know you. But I will tell you this. You're going to die. And I am too. We're all going there. We're all moving that way. I was at the gym one day. There's these three guys, three older guys in there sitting in the locker room, putting on their shoes and stuff. And I'm sitting there with them, putting on my shoes. And they're talking. You know how old people talk about stuff? Man, my knee hurts so bad. I can't get up. I don't even know why I'm here. My knee. And the other guy like, yeah, you know, I pulled this muscle back. I can't even walk no more. And so, and I said, y'all, man, I went to my doctor the other day. They're like, yeah. I said, man, I've been diagnosed. He said, what you diagnosed with? I said, man, that doctor said I got A-G-E. A-G-E. Y'all know what that is? They're like, that one of them respiratory things. I'm like, no, think about it. What does it say? A-G-E. I got age. Like, oh, man, we got age. And y'all, age isn't for sissies, right? Getting old ain't for sissies. It's easy to be overwhelmed and discouraged when you're getting old. You start aging. Things happen to you like... You, you lose your independence. Your kids take your driver's license away from you. Right, Granny? That ain't fun, is it? You get old and you can't do the things like you used to could do. You, get, you walk down the aisle in a grocery store and you want to reach down to the stuff on the, on the aisle and you can't even do it. You got to ask somebody who's walking down there, hey, would you please pick up that thing for me and put it in my cart? That's humiliating. Get to a place you can't hear, can't see. You have to have other people take care of you. <laughs> you see, like, like that little baby right there and that one right there, it's fun. Man, it's, fun. it's joyful. It's fun changing his diaper right now, isn't it? Brooke, Travis, it's fun, right? Not too bad right now. It's fun. That's a joy. That's what God meant, right? But when you get to be 60 and your parents are 87 and you're changing your mama's diaper. You see, that's going to happen. And what you think and how you think greatly impacts your life. Greatly impacts the testimony that you're giving, not only to the people that are close to you, but to those people who are on the outside and who are watching. And so as we get older, we get to that point, we can sit around and whine and moan and groan. I know part, everybody's going to do that a little bit, right? But that can be our focus or we can think biblically, and we can think right, and we can let God's truth sanctify us and work in us even when we're 80 years old, even when we're 90 years old. In fact, especially when we're 80 years old and we're 90 years old. And listen, just listen to this verse. What if we memorize this verse? What if you're 80 years old and you memorize this verse? In fact, I'm challenging you. How many people here are over 80? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Oh, how many? One, two, three, one. Mama, raise your hand. Yeah. There's, there's about seven or eight. Are there no men here or over 80? Jack, okay. What if this were mandatory <laughs> to be a member at Southside and you reached 80 years old? I'm just joking, kind of. You had to memorize this verse. You had to commit it to memory. Listen, 
so we do not lose heart. I'm going to make this personal. I'm going to substitute I for we. So I do not lose heart. Though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. For this relatively light momentary, maybe 30 years, affliction is preparing me for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What if we committed that to memory? And that was our life song as we're in our rocking chair on our front porch and we were just able to say that as we could even sing it out loud. So I'm not losing heart. I will not lose heart. I'm not going to lose heart. This outer self is wasting away. But this inner self... Praise God, it's being renewed more and more day by day. And eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has in store for those who are in Christ. So, y'all, there's so much more I could say about this, but I just want you to, to think seriously about thinking. Think seriously about what you do during the day when no one's around and you're thinking. Because when you're thinking, you're really talking to yourself and you're either thinking thoughts that are bombarding you from out there or thoughts that are bombarding you from right here. This is an overused illustration as we close. I know this is overused. You've heard it dozens of times. But a man named Horatio Spafford, in the 1870s, he was a, a wealthy businessman living in Chicago. He and his wife, Anna, had five children. And in one particular, um, is 1871, they lost their only son. They had four daughters and one son. They lost their only son to pneumonia. That same year, 1871, in the Chicago fire, Spafford lost everything. Lost it all. It was a couple years later that Spafford's wife and his four daughters got on board the Ville de Harve in the United States. We're going over to Great Britain, I believe it is. And four days out from their journey, they collided with a, a ship. And Anna gathered her four daughters on board that ship as it was sinking and prayed, Oh God, save us if it be your will. All four of those children died. Anna alone was saved. When she got to shore, she telegrammed her husband, Horatio, and she said, saved alone, what do I do? And right there, Horatio Spafford goes into his office, right there, and pins a song. That song. It is well. A week or so later, Spafford gets on a ship and goes to, to his wife. Four days out, the captain calls him up to the bridge and says, Sir, we're over the spot where your children died. And that's where he finished the song. It is well with my soul. We're going to sing this song. You know the words, but think of them. A person had to be genuinely thinking the right thoughts to lose. You got four, right? Four girls. You have to be thinking right, immersed in God's truth, set apart in God's truth, to lose your four children and write these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot... Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Will we stand? Would you stand and let's sing this song as we close.
your truth. Thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that you're never finished in this life sanctifying us, growing us in your truth. Father, help us to pick up our copy of your word and help us to learn your truth. So in those moments when we are speaking with ourselves, we are speaking truth to ourselves. Not what this world says is true, not what we feel like might be true in that moment, but what is true. The unchanging truth of your word. And Father, thank you that the truth of your word leads us to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that though it was not well with our soul because of our sin, that Christ died to make it well with our soul. That he rose to give us the assurance that it will always be well with our soul. That he ascended to your right hand to intercede with us, to help us say it is well with my soul when it's hard to say that. And Father, we look forward to the day when Christ returns, when all will be well. Body, mind, and soul, all of us, every, every bit of who we are, will be well forever and ever and ever. Because of Jesus, and through the gift of faith in Christ, God, we thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.